We have been studying the, um, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which uh, our topic is kingdom life in a fallen world. How do we live this kingdom life? And we finished up recently with our uh, Beatitudes, and now we're going into the application of the Beatitudes in how we live this Christian life in a fallen world. So this text is dealing with the issue of the law. This is Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, one can't read the news or watch the news these days without hearing about the story of Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. This is the story that's in the news of this fatal shooting of Martin by Zimmerman that took place on February 26th in Sanford, Florida. Trayvon Martin was a 17-year-old African-American who was unarmed. Zimmerman, a 28-year-old biracial Hispanic, who at the time of the shooting was the community watch coordinator for a gated community. And needless to say, it has embroiled the country in racial and legal controversy. Zimmerman claims that he shot Martin in self-defense and was perfectly justified in doing so because he was attacked and under Florida's stand your ground law, he had the right to defend himself even to the death if necessary. Trayvon Martin's detractors, and there have been many, uh, excuse me, his supporters, and there have been marches all around the country, are claiming that Zimmerman is hiding behind this law, twisting it and manipulating it for his own purposes, that in actuality, this was an act of racially motivated violence, and Zimmerman killed uh, Trayvon Martin and should have to pay. So it's important to know the law, isn't it? This case is not going away anytime soon. And based on whether uh, Zimmerman obeyed the law or not will determine whether he goes free or he spends the, the rest of his life in prison. You know, laws are given for a harmonious and orderly ordering of society. They help us to understand how we treat one another, how business is run, how relationships should work, what we can and what we can't do. When you think of it, where do our laws, the laws of this land, come from? It's no secret that of our founding fathers, 24 of the 54 signers of the De Declaration of Independence had seminary degrees. Indeed, the first act of Congress, in their first session, they spent three hours in prayer then before they even began delivering on the affairs of Congress. The foundation of the law of this land is this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, people over the world come to study our laws, but our laws are flawed because they are man-made at the end of the day. They will change. 
But God's law is immutable, perfect, and binding in its requirements. And so the question we have to ask today is if it's important to obey the laws in the United States, if there are consequences for them, what place does God's laws have in our lives today? We have many questions about the laws in the Bible, don't we? Are some of them, is the Bible just a quaint, outdated book that gives us some principles to live by, to take and choose as we see necessary? Some of us have the question, has the coming of Jesus abolished some of these Old Testament laws? Or should we be obeying them? See, we have to answer the question about the law. Because ignorance of the law is not an excuse out of it. You know, I could say to the policeman, I didn't know the speed limit was 45, therefore, how can you be justified in giving me a ticket? I assure you, I assure you he's going to give you a ticket. Ignorance of the law is not justification for disobeying. Well, the answer to this question of the place of the law in our lives is bound up in the person of Jesus. For Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. How you relate to Jesus will determine whether God's law will be to you a terror or a blessing. This passage that Jesus has given us teaches us a central truth that Christ has rescued us from the terror of the law that we might enjoy the blessing of the law. Now I want to unpack that statement, so we're going to look at three things. The first is this, that Christ lived under the law in order to receive the terror of the law. The second point is this, because Christ lived under the terror of the law, we can enjoy the blessing of the law. And my third and final point is this, that we need Christ just as much today to live under the blessing of the law as to be delivered from the terror of the law. So let's look at these three points, starting with the first, that Christ lived under the law so he could receive the terror of the law. Look at verse 17 and 18, where he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Well, what are the law and the prophets? We commonly refer to them as the Old Testament. You'll remember God ransomed the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, and he brought them to Mount Sinai, and he spoke to them from the mountain. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this law that God gives and proceeds to give the law, the Ten Commandments, you know, he comes down, Charlton Heston, the whole deal, and all of the laws that follow. He gives this law in the context of a covenant. Now a lot of us are familiar with covenants. Have you ever bought a house? Have you ever signed a lease? Have you ever gotten married? You've entered into a covenant. And God has entered into a covenant with these people. Indeed, recent archaeological evidence has shown us that God is actually entering into a very common covenant that was between nations that everyone would have understood back in that time. 
When a greater nation would overtake a smaller nation, it would make a covenant with that nation. And it would basically say to them, here is who am I, here is who are you. Here are the stipulations of how you are to live in light of this relationship. And if you live in these stipulations, you'll receive blessings. But if you rebel against them and fail to obey them, you will receive curses. See, that's why we see God saying, you shall, and you shall, and you shall. So God gives this covenant. Everybody knows they're entering into it. Indeed, the people responded, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so we fast forward to the New Testament and we see Jesus going up on a mountain, just like Moses did, and issuing teaching. And we have to ask the question, what is Jesus doing? Is he overriding the covenant? Is he writing a new one? No. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This word, fulfill, plerosai in the Greek, literally means when something is empty, to go ahead and fill it, like a cup of water that you would fill to its brim. See, the goal of Jesus was to fulfill this covenant. See, the covenant was provisional. If you do these things, this will happen. But if you don't do these things, this is what will happen. The law can either be a blessing or a terror. So the question we have is, who fulfilled the law? The answer is no one. If we look at the Bible, it's story after story of great men and small men who failed to live up to the requirements of the law. David, the man after God's own heart, who committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband. Samson, the man of great strength, who was led astray by Delilah. Solomon, for all of his great wisdom, who was led astray by other gods and did not, did not fulfill the requirements of the law. See, all the prophets were, were God's litigators who came along and said, hey, don't you remember what God said? If you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. So the question we have is who can fulfill, plerocide, this law? One of my favorite stories of, uh, as a kid was the sword and the stone. Remember King Arthur? You know, Uther Pendragon, he's the head guy, and he's dying, and all, you know, the, the kids of, of uh, the, the child of uh, Pendragon has to be hidden. And so Merlin creates this sword, and he puts it in a stone, and he puts an inscription on it. Whoever can pull the sword from the stone is rightwise king of England. And all the great people of the land come, the strong, the wise, the intelligent, and they all try to pull the sword out of the stone, and none can. And then this young page named Arthur comes along and reaches in, and he pulls the sword, and it comes right out. See, Jesus' point was to come to fulfill the law. His job was to be righteous. That very word, to live right. Galatians puts it this way, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. It was Jesus at the end of His life that said, if I have done wrong, convict me. But who can show that I have done anything wrong? 
See, Jesus lived the perfect life under the law so that he could redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus was righteous, and then he gave his righteousness to me and you. I have a picture. It's a blast from the past. Hold your breath, people. Me graduating from the University of Virginia. That's my father there on the left here. Now, many of us are familiar with graduation ceremonies, aren't we? You know, you've done your time, you've done your hard work, and then you go up and you walk across, and what do they hand you? A scroll, a diploma that is saying you have met the requirements of matriculation from this university. It's a beautiful picture at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when judgment time comes and the scroll comes out. This is what it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him, hand of him, this is God who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, for behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between, and I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... And the 24 elders fell down and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people from God, from every tribe and nation and people, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Notice that last language. Wasn't that the blessing of the covenant from the beginning? That if you obey, you see, the world. God says, you shall. The people say, I can't. And Jesus says, I have. I have. This is uh, right here. A beautiful picture here of my graduation diploma. Now, the thing I like about Virginia is you spend a gazillion dollars and they give you a nice big diploma. Okay, I don't want a little diploma. I want a big diploma, right? See, this is something I earned based on my time there. Will, come on up here, buddy. I want to give you something. This is yours. Okay? All right. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself, what are you saying? He didn't earn it. You earned it. You don't have the right to give it to him. Well, it's mine, isn't it? <clears throat> See, the scriptures say that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to God, to Christ. Christ can give his diploma to whoever he wants. And so Christ has given us his righteousness. Christ lived under the terror of the law that we might receive the blessing of the law. You can go sit down. Enjoy your diploma. <laughs> Four years. Just skip. Fantastic. I loved college. It was the best seven years of my life. <laughs> See, what is our attitude toward the commands of God? Do we fear them? Do we feel their oppression? Many of us are living under the curse of the law 
because we have not fulfilled it ourselves. So you may be a Christian and you work hard and you put in your time and you pray and you give your money and yet you secretly fear that when it comes time for graduation, you won't be able to walk across that stage. Maybe you're a non-Christian and you live a good life and you pay your taxes and you don't cheat on your wife and you try to do the right thing, but secretly you wonder, when I walk up there, will I be able to look into the scroll? Can any of us look into the law? Christ has given his benefits to you and me so we can live not under the terror of the law, but rather the blessing. This brings me to my second point, that we can live under the freedom of the law. What does that mean? I mean, why do we need the law now, right? Christ has filled it. He has fulfilled it. But Jesus says in here, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Christ has fulfilled the law, but he certainly doesn't jettison the law. In fact, he says not an iota, not a dot, and he's using Greek there. The iota is the smallest letter. And a dot, we understand that. The smallest elements of the law will not pass away. In fact, we discover that greatness in this kingdom is related to observance in the law. Notice, leastness in the kingdom, they're both in the kingdom, is related to observance of the law. So we have to ask, what are our obligations to the law today? We must understand that in light of Christ, the law has not been annulled, it has not been abrogated, but rather it has been transformed. There's a passage where Jesus said, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, John the Baptist. See, if the law and the prophets are prophesying, they are in a sense provisional. Now they've been fulfilled in Christ. Notice Romans 8.1 where Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Two laws. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, that's a lot of language there, but the point I want to make is that the law of sin and death has now become the law of life in Christ. What has transformed the law is namely this, relationship. God has gone from being a judge to now being a father. See, the law in light of Christ is gracious. Its function is not to condemn, but rather to guide us into this new life. So the law has been transformed. How has it been transformed? We must look at the Old Testament law through the lens of Christ to understand this. For instance, there are three different aspects that people talk about the law, the Old Testament law. One is what we call the ceremonial law. Okay, there's pages after pages in the Old Testament about how to sacrifice, what to sacrifice, when to sacrifice. <laughs> 
else. And yet here we are in a service of God, and where is the altar? Where is the sacrifice that we come to bring? Where are the animals? The answer rather is we have an altar and a table, but one who commemorates the sacrifice that has already occurred. See, we are called to bring a sacrifice now, but it's not a sacrifice of animals. Rather, it's a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15, which tells us to bring a sacrifice of praise to, the, to God because of what He's done. We now bring a sacrifice of ourselves. Therefore, I urge you, dear brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's transformed the ceremonial law. He's transformed the judicial law. The judicial law, the pages of pages in the law dealing with the constitution and governing of Israel as a nation. Remember, Israel was an ethnic people given a specific geographic boundary. But now we see that a new nation has been formed. Not based on ethnicity, but rather based around Christ. A spiritual nation from every tongue, tribe, and nation that literally spans the face of the earth. Not based on geographic boundaries, for God's kingdom is advancing everywhere and His people can be found all across the world. The spiritual nation is what we call the church. You're a member of it. And the New Testament is the manual of how we are to live in this world. Pulling from the Old Testament, reinterpreted it in light of Christ. Finally, we talked about the ceremonial law, the judicial law. What about the moral law? What about those commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall, by the way, that was an Old Testament command. You shall not bow down to any idol. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. These are all commands that continue to stand today. See, the point is the law has not been annulled. It has been fulfilled. And we can only understand the law in light of our relationship with God. You know, before we had Maria, excuse me, <clears throat> before we had Maria, somebody can get some water. Out of Maria lived in an orphanage, which was a family of sorts. It's a bunch of kids and some caregivers, and there were rules. Orphanage rules for the ordering of that so-called family. Thank you so much. It's not fun coughing. Much better. There were rules about how they were to live. But you see, these rules were conditional. Obey the rules or else. And if a kid couldn't obey the rules, the kid was out. And so they lived these rules, but in terror, in fear of being cast out. But you see, we went and got Maria, and we claimed Maria as our own. We gave her a new name. We gave her a new house in which to live. And we gave her rules. And truth be told, a lot of the rules that she lives under now are very similar to the ones she had in the house. What is the difference? Relationship family. Now the rules that we have given her as her loving parents are to guide her, to provide freedom for her, 
to help her to understand what she can do and not do, to keep her safe. You see, what father would not give rules to their children to help them to know how to live? Many of you know Leella, my wife, is a counselor. And she spends time after time, hour after hour, dealing with the mess of parents that did not give their children rules in which to live, or ones that were arbitrary and unfair. They did this experiment a while ago. They took a bunch of kids and they, and they made a playground. And they put all the equipment and they put it sort of in the center of this playground. It was kind of in a suburban, urban area, so it was rather crowded. And they watched the kids act and interact with one another. And what they discovered was the kids stayed very close to the playground equipment. Okay, that makes sense. But then they did something. They took a fence and they put it around the outside of the park. Remember, the equipment's in the center and they put it around the outside of the park. And you know what the kids did? They spread everywhere. Because they understood the boundary that gave them freedom in which to act. They could run and play. They could enjoy the freedom, not fearing that there were going to be issues and problems. See, the law is every bit as essential as before. And it shows us how to live in light of a new father and a new family. There's some of us, there's this teaching out there that says, oh, this Christianity, it's all grace. It's all grace. We don't have to worry about how to live now. We have Christ. Go and do what you want. But the law in light of Christ is gracious. And so my question for you and for me is this, do you know the boundaries? We have to know the boundaries. How can we learn them? Well, that's the very reason why you're here, isn't it? See, the goal of the church, the goal of this church, is to help you learn the boundaries by which you can live in freedom. That's why we do men's Bible study. That's why we do women's Bible study. That's why we do adult education. That's why we do the arsenal. That's why we do all of these communities, these opportunities to understand these boundaries that give us freedom. We have to know that. And knowing them means that you must at some point translate into reading the Bible for yourself and learning its commands. They say if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Hebrews 5.13 puts it this way. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We must know his boundaries. Secondly, we must teach them. Anyone who does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. Many of us are in an influential position with our children, with our grandchildren, with those who have come alongside of us, maybe that we're mentoring or discipling. This is an opportunity for us to pour into our children and those who are dependent on us the opportunity to learn the wonderful boundaries of God, which are really more guardrails than boundaries, aren't they? To teach us how to go. We must know these boundaries. We must teach them, and then finally, we must do them. When you think about it, how much of life is painful because we have not lived according to God's law? It's like God put this boundary around us, and we just jump over it. And we head off into the road, and then something happens to us, and we say, God, where were you? 
We just jumped over my bathroom. Now keep in mind there are things that have happened to us that are of no fault of our own. And I'm not meaning to diminish or, or, or disdain that. But I'm saying that most of our problems deal from the fact that we look at God's Word and we keep going. James 1.23 says, Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what he says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has done, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. See the law of the world. You see, some of us say, well, I want to live in the law of the world, but I want to live in the law of God as well. Friends, it doesn't work. They are mutually exclusive to one another. We must choose how we live and who we serve. For the law of the world will enslave us, but the law of our Father will set us free. This leads me to my final point, that we need Christ just as much to live in the freedom of the law as from the curse of the law. Notice the final statement that Jesus says here, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Jesus is using the Pharisees here as a benchmark. The word Pharisee literally means separatist. These were the guys that said, I'm going to obey this law. I'm going to do whatever it takes. In fact, they figured out that the law had 248 commands and 355 prohibitions. And they were committed to obeying this law. But you see, there was a problem. Jesus came along and the first people he attacked were these supposed separatists. Jesus said Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, without changed hearts, we cannot obey the law. For all of these Pharisees' supposed devotion, their attendance to the law was really a sham. In the next four or five weeks, we're going to be looking at these key blocks about uh, divorce and adultery and law, uh, excuse me, and murder and things like that. And Jesus, in each one of these little teachings, says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You know, murder, you have heard that it was said, do not commit murder, but I tell you. Uh, you have heard that it was said, love your... Uh, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you. See, the problem with that statement is it's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, whenever Jesus referred to the Bible and the teaching of the Bible, he never said, you have heard that it was said. He'd always say, it is written. What's Jesus referring to? He's referring to the interpretation of the Pharisees, not the law itself. See, Jesus comes as the true interpreter of the law. And he's saying that the Pharisees, for all their devotion, have cut and shaved and molded the law to suit their own fancies. And the truth of the matter is that it'll be easy for us to do that as well. When we look at the true demands of the law, do not kill, but I say to you that if you even have hatred in your heart, it's like you killed him as well. How can we live up to these staggering commands that God has given us? 
We need a new heart. But the beauty of the gospel and Jesus is coming is that he has given us a new heart. Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. See, we have received a new heart. And we need that new heart to enjoy the blessing of the law. This new heart is only activated when we have Christ and are depending on Him. See, the law in its form is a blueprint of what we were meant to be. When we look in the law, we see the picture of the people that God is transforming us into. But to be transformed, we need His power. Listen to Colossians 3.1. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. I want to call up my son, who is not here, so I'm going to call up this big guy right here. Mark, could you grab my diploma right there? I have transferred my diploma from one son to the next. See, I didn't, I didn't actually, I a little bit cheated on my analogy. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus did not give us his diploma, his righteousness. Jesus gave us himself. And because we got Jesus, we got everything that Jesus did. And we got everything that Jesus had. Jesus doesn't give us a paper. Jesus gives us a person. And so the fact that we have Christ means that we have access to all of his benefits. All of his righteousness. All of his holiness. All of his strength. All of the things that we don't have, we do have in him. And so That's why the scriptures say that all of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. See, to live and experience the blessing of the law, we have to depend on Christ just as much as we depended on Him to deliver us from the terror of the law. And that means a life of day-by-day, moment-by-moment dependence. One of the things I love more than anything, and I'm a fallen father, when one of our little kids can't do something, and little kids, you know, there's something about them. They, they have no problem asking for help. So they come over and they say, Daddy, Daddy, help. And me, as the older, I'm able to come and take care and help them along. But something happens as they grow up and they realize that their parents are fallible and have short tempers and aren't supernatural. And they tend to do things on themselves. See, Jesus was right. Anyone who will not accept the kingdom as a little child will not enter it. We accepted the kingdom as a little child to enter into it, and we must accept God's law as a little child to live in it. And so my admonition for you is this, to look to Christ. You mean it's that simple? It's not simple. It is simple, but it's not easy. But as we learn to trust in Christ moment by moment, Looking at His law, looking to Him. Looking at His law, looking to Him. And taking steps in faith and obedience, the Lord will meet you there. My encouragement to you is this. 
If you feel under the oppression of the law, remember Christ, who redeemed us from the law, from the terror of the law, that we might experience the blessing of the law. If you're not right now experiencing the blessings of the law, know the law, teach the law, do the law. And if you don't feel that you can, guess what? You're right. Trust in Christ and in His strength, for He is with us and we are with Him. And as we look to Him, we can live in the freedom and the obedience that comes from His perfect law. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your perfect law that gives freedom. And that we can obey and follow it in the context of a relationship as one who has redeemed us from the law. Indeed, your law guides us into how you want us to live and is shaping us into the people we were meant to be. Lord, help us to walk in dependence, holding on to you tightly as we seek to do the requirements of your law, that we may experience the freedom and the boundlessness that comes from living in line with your law. All of this we pray in Christ's name.